What's going on? It's Cole Cruz, and you're listening to the KC at the Movies podcast for the 9th of May, 2019. It is the culmination of our Avengers week. The actual, absolute culmination. Um, I was supposed to do this last night, but ended up doing it um, now. But this is it. This is We're going to talk about Avengers Endgame in this podcast. We're going to talk about everything Avengers Endgame. Uh, spoilers, obviously, are going to be contained within this discussion. Uh, this is going to be... I don't know how long this is going to be, but um, I just want to say, as of right now, um, this kind of MCU podcast that I'm going to do, um, that is the end of this week. So I'm going to split this up into two parts. Um, tonight's podcast is going to be about, strictly about Avengers Endgame and its, um, and its plot details and questions that are around it. I'm going to give you my full spoiler filled thoughts on Endgame and everything I thought about it. So, and we, and at the end, if I have time, I'll, I might get to my MCU rankings as of now, as of the release of Endgame. But... If I don't get to that, I will move the MCU rankings to my part two, which will be recorded on Sunday. And on part two, I'll be talking about the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer and another discussion, really, about the MCU as a whole um, and the future of the MCU. And then I'll probably slide my rankings probably in the beginning of that or the end of that, somewhere I can fit it. Um, I've also got a few announcements that I need to make as well, so I might do that in the second one. So, yes, yeah, splitting this um, kind of MCU podcast into two parts. And um, part one is of strictly about Avengers Endgame. Um, so, I'm going to give you a final spoiler warning. If you, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, you haven't seen it at all, really. Um, if you've tried to steer clear of the social media, I've tried not to watch any of the TV spots, because as of now, the Russo brothers have said that anyone can spoil Endgame now. I mean, it's kind of not, not like, they're not encouraging people to spoil it, but they've kind of been like, well, you know, people can um, say what they want to say. Um, they can put images up. I've already seen some artists that I follow on Instagram already kind of put images up and people have asked them not to spoil it. And them giving the reasons the Russo brothers have actually, um, have actually um, said that it's been lifted and you can spoil it. Uh, you're right. You can spoil it if you feel like you want um if you want to, let's say, let's say, for example, like one of the artists on Instagram has an, a piece up and it's um, a image that I'll get to, I'll talk about later in this podcast. Um, and it, it displays an image from, let's say, the last 40 minutes. And um, people were pissed off at him because he put up a post like that on Instagram. And, and then he just said, well, the Russos have said that we are free to spoil it now. There is also Marvel TV spots that are spoiling the movie now, so... Really, if you haven't seen Endgame, it's really on you. Um, hell, I have a friend uh, that got Logan spoiled for her last night, and she it's, it's been fucking two years since Logan. So, when it comes to film, um, def- two years is definitely the threshold. Um, I'm still going to be very careful about how I spoil Endgame. I'm not going to be, like, flat out, put it in my fucking Instagram post and everything like that. But... Um, I'm going to still going to give a warning and I'm just going to say that this podcast is going to be full of Endgame spoilers. I'm going to break down the whole film and talk about each different point, um, what I thought about it, my feelings, thoughts, you know, all that stuff. Um, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but 
Here it is. This is your spoiler warning. This is your spoiler warning. End game spoilers ahead. So, if you don't want to hear this, it's going to be in the title anyway, so I don't know why you click on the podcast if you've seen the title. Um, but this is it. This is your warning. Go away. <laughs> and then when you say end game, you come back, you listen, and in in uh, see what you think. Alright, so this is how this is going to go. Um, I've taken a bit of time out. Now, uh, first of all, I apologize for not doing this podcast yesterday. I was supposed to do it. This was actually scheduled for yesterday, but I just had um, a thing come up and I was unavailable uh, all of a sudden. And I really wanted to put more work into uh, this podcast because um, I hadn't written and uh, I hadn't done enough research, I thought, or I hadn't really done it to, you know, I wouldn't have done it truthfully. Uh, as I was say, but uh, this is tonight. I'm I've, I'm pretty prepared. I'm ready to go. So um, tonight's going to be. I feel like I'm doing it tonight to the to the best of my ability um, tonight. So so sorry for that. But uh, we're going to begin right now. So this is how it's going to go. I'm going to break down the film by acts. We're going to go by Act One, which is like the first maybe hour and a half. We're going to go by Act Two. So in Act One, I'm going to go by each event. I'm going to go by each event. And I've actually labeled the events. There's about 19. There should be about 20 in the first act, but I've got 19 here. Um, now, of course, I haven't really followed, like, um, I couldn't really follow, like, normal film rules because it's, it's such a long and convoluted film. There's a lot of stuff in it that, we, you know, we could talk about. And um, it's going to take all day to really talk about it. So that's why I've kind of broken it into my own little acts that I thought were like little beats in the um, in the story. So uh, that's Act 1. We're going to do it like by numbers. Now, Act 2 is going to be the stones. I've called Act 2 the stones. And I'm going to go by uh, the locations of the stones, where they need to go in, in, in time. So let's say I've broken scenes down by New York 2012, Asgard 2013, Morag 2013, and Vormir, like current time. Or back in time. I'm not too sure when they go back to Vore, um, Vormir, actually. And then uh, Camp Lehigh in the 1970s. And then Act 3 is going back to those events, those numbered events. Because um, it's it's back, it's kind of back to normal. I feel like I've got to grasp on everything else there. And then we'll finish with an epilogue and talk about those. They'll be in kind of like a series of events as well. And then we'll just give some final thoughts, um, talking about credits and all stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things to talk about. So I haven't really actually seen any um, people um, online, really. I've just mainly seen Easter egg videos and things like that. Um, Then I haven't really, but I will say that I haven't really um, searched far and wide to see if there's any podcasts that do break the film down, like the full movie down. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a feat to do because it did take me a while to write all this. Um, there's about one, 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 two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pages of notes here. Um, so I'm going to attempt to do it and we'll see how it goes. This is it. This is your Avengers Endgame breakdown. All right. So. The film has a, cold, has a cold open with um, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and his family. He's training his daughter, um, Lila, or Isla, I believe. I think it's Lila, I think. And um, she's training her to be, you know, yeah, uh, some uh, bow and arrow training. Um, his wife and kids are at the uh, picnic table, and they're making uh, lunch. 
And then he, uh, there's a little cool, little cool little quote here where she gets a bullseye and he goes, "Look at, I think it's look at you, Hawkeye, or something like that. And um, obviously that's a call to his actual, um, his superhero mantle. And then uh, he goes to retrieve the arrow, I believe. Um, or does he, um, I think he looks to his wife. And then um, then she disappears. He looks behind the tree, she's gone. And then uh, uh, his wife and kids disappear after that as well. And then you hear the thunder sound in that scene. Uh, is this, It's the same scene as um, you hear in Wakanda in the, in the end of Infinity War. It's the same thunder sound. Which is kind of like the, I guess, the soundtrack or the for the or the score of the snap, I guess. Um, loved it, loved this cold opening. Really, really loved it. Um, it's it really showed the weight of the snap and um, like what what it could actually, you know, seeing it in real time, what it would do to families and everything like that. Um, Clint Clint being so distraught really got me. Really tugged the strings there, and I thought it was a fantastic way to open the film uh, to really settle us into what we're getting into here, especially in this first act of just like being. Uh, so desperate and um, trying to move on. And then you get the Marvel logos. Now, if you look in the Marvel logos, um, there's the characters are missing. The characters that disappeared in the snap are missing from the logo, uh, the Marvel logos. Uh, so if you like, look out for that if you want to go see it a second time or a third time, really. And if you haven't recorded them in those times, uh, the Marvel logos are in th uh, the characters, sorry, have disappeared from those logos. I found that out from someone after my first viewing, and I went to go with my second viewing, I went to look for that, and uh, they were gone. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool attention to detail. <laughs> anyway, so the film officially, after the titles, the film officially opens on the Banatar, which is the old guardianship. And uh, you've got Tony and Nebula um, playing, uh, I think it's paper football, but with like some sort of these cube, these uh, kind of triangle plastic things and um i thought it was nice in this scene that he actually like nebula was able to win something because like her whole life she's been really kind to trying to prove herself to her father and he'd she'd he'd make uh, nebula and gamora fight each other um and then if she lost he'd pull a part out of her and then replace it with i guess replace it with a robot part i'm not too sure on the full details there but um, I believe that's what's, what's happening. Like he would fight, she would fight Gamora. Gamora would win like most times, and then her her Thanos would take a, a body part off Nebula because of you know her not being strong enough. So it was nice to see her really win something. She was happy that she won it, and that she actually like won the game. After that, Tony leaves the message for Pepper, and um, he says like, "I know you said no more, no more surprises, like you said in Infinity War," and uh, he said, "I was hoping to pull off one last one." because he's obviously um, implying that he's going to die here in space because n there's no no one to save him, really. Um, I think it's... Uh, oh, yeah, I did write that. And um, it's really inter um, interesting to see Tony, instead of just being this kind of, you know, always being like the billionaire playboy kind of type, the, the cool type, you know, the style and the strutting, to see him really weak here, looking very gaunt and sickly. And um, I don't know if there's a makeup work or uh, Robert Downey Jr. lost a lot of weight for that scene. I mean, that's it, it's incredible. It's it's really really um, eerie to look at. Um, and then he lays down. Nebula lays him down. There's a it's a beautiful shot. I thought it was a beautiful shot where he was asleep 
um, in the center of the frame and then Nebula comes in and it's the composition I thought was really well the framing was nice as well was um you've get the you've got the space in the background Tony's on the floor and the Nebula's right next to him trying to um I guess trying to put him in that chair but it's like that's that shot where he's just laying down flat she's next to him I just thought the framing was really really nice there I hope they if I see like a scene where they break it down or something like that they're really nice um, I thought it was really good because I've seen a few videos where the Russo's actually broke down a few scenes from Infinity War. So hopefully they do some more for um, Endgame once they, you know, feel uncomfortable, feel comfortable to do that. Um, so then after that, Captain Marvel saves, saves them. She uh, appears. Um, Tony's like kind of almost. I, I don't know if he's asleep or he's about to die, but she appears. Captain Marvel appears, and. Um, it's like a really bright light, and it's kind of like a like a f slow reveal. And you see, it's Captain Marvel. She brings the ship down to Avengers HQ, and then um, the, everyone is reunited. Um, Pepper sees Tony. You've got Rocket holding Nebula's hand, and it's a really really nice moment of um, you know a little bit of hope, even though you know half of the fucking world's gone. But you know a little bit of hope to see what they can do. Um, in, in Thor and Thanos, because Tony is probably could probably, probably play a big part in that. So then you get another kind of Tony and Steve debate, um, where Tony's kind of in this, um, in a in a uh, I don't know what you call it. He's in a wheelchair, but he's hooked up to an IV, I think, because yeah, he's so weak. And then you get the whole debate of just like, well, you should have, you know, he he calls back to putting the shield around the world, and then he said we couldn't save it, and he goes, well, we'll do that together too. And then he gets. Obviously, Tony gets very upset because, you know, this is what happened. Thanos has been in his dreams the whole time, really, since, um, oh, man, since the first Avengers, I think. Um, so they have a little back and forth, and then he collapses, puts him down, and now they've really got to figure out how they're going to find Thanos, first of all, and then take him on. You've got Thor sitting in the corner. He's very depressed um, because he thought... Because normally he's very used to winning things and saving the day, but this time he was the reason. He feels like he's the reason that the Earth has been completely decimated and um, ev that everyone has left. And you can see that definitely in Chris Hemsworth's performance. Really, really nice. Um, Pratt Marvel kind of proves herself, really. I don't really think she kind of proved it herself, but... You know, he brings, he summons Stormbreaker, it flies past her face, she gives a little grin, he's like, I like this one. Uh, we, we saw that in the trailer. And then they try to work out uh, where Thanos is, first of all, where to get the stones. Um, so they're trying to work out where Thanos is, and then uh, Nebula says, um, well, he always talked about retiring to a place after he got the stones, and it's called the Garden. So then they take the rocket ship. Uh, I believe it's the Benatar. Yes, it is. I think it's the Benatar. And then they, they take that ship. They fly it all the way to um, the garden, or the planet that he's on, really, where the garden is uh, located. And uh, there's a really nice joke with... Um, I love the... Um, Has anybody been to space? And then uh, they all raise their arms, except Captain Marvel, obviously. Uh, not been to space, sorry. And they all raise their arms. It's a really funny moment there. They get to uh, the planet. And Captain Marvel is like, well, he's alone. There's no one there. There's no bots. There's nothing. And then we cut to the, uh, I guess, the farm. 
and uh, Thanos' armor is hanging up like a scarecrow, and then Thanos is collecting some fruits. He's about to make some dinner. And um, one of the shots really looked like Maximus' shot in the Gladiator when he's like kind of filling the reeds, uh, where Thanos is, uh, I guess, destroyed and finally gone, like kind of brushes past um, the, the crops in the farm. I thought that was a really cool... I think it was trying to do a gladiator thing there because it was it looks really reminiscent of that last shot when Maximus is actually spoiler alert for gladiator dead. Um, so he's about to make himself a little dinner, and then he's immediately um, ambushed by the Avengers. First Captain Marvel just fucks him up, just flies in, punches him. Um, she gets him under the headlock, and then they all kind of surround him. Um, and then he talks about being, um, you know, he destroyed the stones. They're like, no, 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 how can you do that? And then Nebula says he's not a liar, which is, um, you know, he's always been, he's, not, he's never he's never lied about anything. Um, and when, when we learnt that in Infinity War, when he had that really, really great scene, one of my favourite scenes in Infinity War, where he, um, um, he, he to- tells Gamora, I never taught you to lie. And then he says, that's why he's so bad at it. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Thanos, really. And it's, uh, it's just the way that that Josh Brolin delivers that line in that scene. Beautiful stuff. Uh, so, he she says, My father is a lot of things. A lie is not one of them, I believe. Paraphrasing, could be. And uh, he goes, uh, uh, he goes, um, Good daughter, perhaps I've treated you too bad, harshly. And then Thor chops his fucking head off chops his head off I this in when I watched this in the theater it surprised the shit out of me holy crap I, I was like oh my god I thought this was a kids film chopped his fucking head off flies across the floor and then obviously because they can't get more information out of him rocket's like what did you do that and then Thor says, you know, I was going for the head. I went for the head, which is definitely, um, again, a callback to Infinity War when he said, you should have gone for the head, then does the snap. As we all know. <laughs> and then, um, you kind of get a Thor standing in at the, at the, uh, I guess the doorway of the, uh, of the house. And then, um, it's kind of like a, a fade in from white. And then you get the title card five years later. Five years later. It's been five years since the old snap. Um, you can see, I love the shots of like the abandoned uh, New York, especially on Liberty Island. There's a lot of boats around it. Um, it really shows, again, this scene definitely shows the way to the snap. A lot of people disappeared. Um, there's just boats, there's cars everywhere. The whole city's... Whole city's packed with a lot of vacant vehicles. I mean, there's the stadiums that are empty. It just looks like a ghost town, really. A ghost city, if you will. And then uh, we get that Cap is running a support group for the people that you know, look up to these heroes. But now that they're gone, they have got haven't got really nothing to um, you know be happy about. They've also lost a lot of their friends as well. Um, you get a cameo from Joe Russo, the director. And um, he is... I think he... It's it's said that he plays that he is playing the first openly gay character of the MCU. Um, I think the director's actually said that as well. So I think it's confirmed because there's an interview right now in Sirius X, S, 
Sirius XFM, I think it's Sirius XFM, I think it's called. And then it's a really, it's a spoiler-filled interview. I haven't watched it yet, but I believe in that interview they say that uh, Joe Russo's cameo character is um, an openly gay character from the MCU. Um, and then because he talks about going on a date with a guy, um, because he, he lost his, I think he lost his husband or his boyfriend, and then he goes on a uh, a date with another person, and then that kind of like a, it's a kind of bad date story. I thought it was a good way of humanizing, I mean, I mean, not really, I can't really say humanizing, but like showing that everyone is trying to move on after the snap and um, they're really, really trying their best to move on. You've also got a cameo there from Jim Starlin. He is the creator of Thanos, I believe, and the um, Infinity Gauntlet, was he the creator of the Infinity Gauntlet series? Um, Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, Jim Starlin. Uh, oh, he's also the creator of Drax and Gamora as well. Oh. What has he done? Anyway, he's a huge... I'll just say he's a huge comic book writer for, for a Marvel. And um, he makes a really cool cameo as well here. Um, just one of the people in that support group. Um, and then we cut to San Francisco. And you've got Scott Lang's kind of van. Uh, it's got the Okokoracha. Um, La Cocoracha, sorry. Um, horn, car horn sound, and then a rat, a little rat, is scurrying across the uh, the uh, the dashboard of the car where the quantum realm um, calculator is. I don't know what to call that thing, but it's the thing that puts Scott in the quantum realm, and he's just crawling along and then he hits a button and then Scott comes flying out of the van hits the hits the ring the uh, fence and then uh, he's like what the fuck everyone's gone he's in a garage what's going on here and then you get a really weird kind of really off-putting in my opinion cameo from Ken Jeong as the security guard um, yeah, I found that I found that weird uh, but it, I, I was I wasn't like oh what the fuck? This is so jarring. But, um, I don't know. I was just, like, kind of taken aback. I was like, oh, my God, Kenji Yong. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it was because the Russos worked a lot with him on, on um, Community as well. Because they, they, they directed a few episodes on Community. I believe they directed the uh, Modern Warfare episode. Paintball, the first Paintball episode. I think it was all the Paintball episodes, actually, that they directed. Um... Uh, let me just quickly get it up. Paintball. There we go. Let's have a look. Yeah, can we use a pit? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, one of the Marvel's user rumors. Was it Joe? Anyway, they did a few episodes of Community. The bottom line is they did a few episodes of Community. And um, I guess that's why they got Kanjo on there to um, cameo. Anyway, so Scott... He goes home. He finds like there's a lot of like everyone's missing. He asks this little kid what's happening. Kid looks really, really distraught. He rides off. He goes back home, finds his daughter Cassie, who is now very grown up, and um, goes to see that, you know, he's he's been said is missing on all the gravestones. It's kind of like a memorial kind of thing of all the people that got snapped and um, dusted, and uh, he is on there. His name is on there. 
And then uh, he goes immediately goes to Avengers HQ to um, you know to tell Cap and Nat that he's alive. So then we cut to Nat and she's talking to holograms of I believe Rocket. This is what going off what I remember from the viewing, the second viewing. Rocket, Okoye, Captain Marvel, Valkyrie, and Rhodey. I believe it's those four. And uh, they're kind of like, she's, she's checking in on like how different planets are going and how's different places on Earth going and like that. Wakanda especially as well, Okoye. And uh, I think she mentions there's been an earthquake in Wakanda, which could be a nod to uh, Namor, the submariner. submariner who could be a villain in Black Panther 2, maybe? I don't know. But he could be. And then um, there is nothing uh, really going on uh, anywhere, really. And uh, they kind of leave, and then Rhodey kind of stays, and she talks about there's been a, a really brutal scene in Mexico, and she th- he thinks it's like Big Clint Barton, who has now taken the mantle of Ronan. Um, that he, it was a mantle he took in the comics, where he just became kind of like this uh, assassin. And, um, she doesn't want to believe it, but she kind of thinks it is. So then Rhodey says, take care, blah, blah, blah. She starts cutting into a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as Captain America arrives, Steve Rogers arrives, and they have a little bit of a chat. There's a nice back and forth there. And it's a beautiful scene, I think, between Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans, who really, as a, I got to give the acting to this movie, fucking just... All, all of the thumbs up. I mean, the acting in this movie is really, really great, especially from Scarlett Johansson. Um, this is the best I think Natasha Romanoff has ever been. And um, we'll get to what happens there later. But um, I think this is her best, her best, uh, I guess, run as Natasha Romanoff. I mean, this film really, really... I mean it when I said in that spoiler for review that it really improves on previous films. I've... Um, um, characters we've met previous and then kind of builds on their characters a lot of beautiful character moments uh, this little chat between Steve and that's really really beautiful and then Scott arrives in his van they think it's a, uh, an old video or an old security recording but it's actually Scott and then he comes in and wants to talk to them about time travel because he talks about going for the quantum realm and he wants to you know you can use the quantum realm to um, you know manipulate time and, and, and go to a different place in time um, try and try and yeah, manipulate it in that kind of way. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a quantum physics person, or a fucking. I mean, he even mentions like, "Do you guys know about quantum physics?" And then she, I believe it's only to start a conversation. I think Natasha says, which is a great line. Um. Anyway, so then he just explains all that stuff, and he explains it as it's like Back to the Future Two, which is a uh, film about. Time travel. If you didn't kind of get the gist already, or if you've probably watched it by now as well, it's a very it's a not a very old film, but it's a it's a classic. That's what I said. It's a classic. Um, because he explains that it's been five years here on Earth, but in the quantum realm, it's only been five hours. So that's kind of we kind of got the gist of that in Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp, especially in Ant Man and the Wasp. That there is so much stuff going on in the quantum realm that there's a lot of things that can happen to your your body as well. I mean, that happened to Janet Van Dyne, and um, you know it's it's all really weird and kind of um, uh, I, I can't think of the I can't think of a good word for it. 
I mean, bizarre, I guess. I mean, there's, I'm probably thinking of a stronger word than bizarre because I'm trying to find the right word for. I can't think of it, but it, it's just it's unexplainable, I guess. That like there are there are just so many components of the quantum realm that can kind of you know manipulate who you are as a, a person, modify your existence or anything like that. And then when you come back, it's like, oh well, that that was only like you know, it feels like it's been. 10 minutes, but in reality, you've been like, um, you know, out of it for like 10 hours. So it's kind of like that. I mean, it's not, sorry to go into that much of an explanation, but it's kind of like that. So they go and visit Tony Stark, who is um, now living with Pepper on the lake and has a daughter named Morgan. And uh, she pops out of the tent. She's wearing, I think, the rescue mask that Pepper wears later in the film when they come to rescue them at the end of the film the climactic battle and um which I, I think that's what it is anyway because you said I'm making that for your mother <laughs> and uh they go inside they have some bit of a lunch he's kind of I wouldn't say ambushed by the um Steve Nat and um Scott but uh they kind of come up to him and say look we want to time travel and then he just says well I'm not going to lose. I don't want to lose what I have here because now, I mean, I did lose, we did lose Peter Parker because that was his kind of like surrogate son kind of thing, I'm going to say. I'm going to go with surrogate son because he's kind of like a surrogate father to, um, to um, Peter as well. But um, he does love what he has right now. He has Pepper and he has a new daughter, Morgan, who he loves very much. You could say he loves him 3,000. <laughs> and... Um, he kind of brushes them off, and unless they want to stay for lunch, he wants them to go away. So then they go and visit Bruce, who is now Professor Hulk, because he's, um, I guess he's come to terms with accepting the Hulk and then kind of melding both of them together. So now he's Professor Hulk, he has the brawns, he has the brains. And then there's the uh, the lovely selfie moment where he gets himself with the kids. He does the dab, and then uh, <laughs> he gets himself with Ant Man. That was really really cool. Uh, one of those girls is actually um, Joe Russo's daughter, and I'm, and Lila is also uh, from the uh, from the cold open. Lila, Corkai's daughter, Clint's daughter, is also jo Joe's daughter. So there you go, a bit of a little bit of trivia there for you. And um, he kind of, you know, he, he's kind of talking about it. They have a bit of an explanation about it. He has a lot of pancakes, by the way. Holy shit. He's a big boy and he's the eat big. And then uh, they go back to Avengers HQ. Time tr uh, Test time travel out. It goes Ori. Scott has to go through. <laughs> Scott um, goes through different um, stages of his life, I guess. Say. He comes back as an old man, a baby, his teenage self. And it just goes a little bit weird. And then while back at the lake, the lake house that Tony is at, uh, living at, he one night is sitting in his chair, and then he figures out pretty much how figures out time travel. Um, this is where I have a little bit of a nitpick with the film. I just would have liked, even though I know the first act goes long, but I just would have liked a f just maybe two more scenes maybe where he's trying to like kind of figure out time travel and trying to figure out a model because you know when he before he goes down there he's washing some dishes and he looks at the picture of him and peter and he knows he he misses peter a lot he really misses peter so he would like peter back so even if there's a chance that he can get peter back i think he's willing to take it and pepper tells him that later on anyway but i just would have liked you know a few more scenes of him trying to work it out because it just seems like he's just gone okay um, or maybe just like a little maybe like a little um 
a voice recording is saying like test, you know, 200 or something like that, or something, like, you know, just just to get some context that he's been working on this for quite a while. Uh, but that's just a little nitpick of mine. I don't really it, when I when I think about it, I just I don't really mind. But there's just something there. Um, so he figures it out, and then he Morgan's up. He takes her to bed. This is where you get the "I love you" three thousand line, and then he says, "Well, three thousand. He goes, "Now go to bed. I'll sell you the toys." He leaves, and then he goes into Pepper and says, "You know, she loves me three thousand." Um, I think he says, uh, you, "You were in the six hundred to nine hundred range," and uh, then you know, you know, some more banter between Tony and Pepper. And then he pretty much um, devolves to her that, like, he's figured out time travel. And she said, well, you know, you're not going to rest until you do it. Um, calling back to when he couldn't rest in Iron Man 3 because of all, what happened in um, the Battle of New York. So, obviously, he's going to work it all out. So, Tony comes back. Oh, I've missed I've missed this spot, haven't I? Oh, there's my 20th thing. Okay. There's my 20th thing. So Tony comes back to Avengers HQ, speeding in his little car. I think it was definitely an Audi um, product product placement there because Marvel has worked with Audi. There was a full ad on um, Audi with the Marvel um, cast. And apparently that is, is part of the MCU now, that Audi ad. So there you go there. I didn't know that, but apparently it is. Um... He comes, he gives Cap a new shield, and he kind of gives him... He said that, like, what you've been doing is time is traveling through you. You've got to travel through time. Essentially, what I think that... Well, he says lots of, um, you know, complicated stuff, but I think that's what he's trying to... Um, he, pretty much, he's just trying to say that time travels... You're letting time travel through you. Time, you're going to travel through time. And um, there's some principles and, you know, quantum physics equations, blah, 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 he's talking about. Gives Cap a shield, and then he reveals that he has these kind of like time travel GPSs, and they work as wristbands. So they go in there, and they've got to they've got to try and um, work that out now. But not before um, Nat has to go get Clint back, who's in Tokyo killing Japanese people. Um, who I believe are probably the accuser. But um, it's a really really nice one shot uh, where you get. Um, there's, a, I think there's a few guards kind of hanging out and then you get them them taking out the camera kind of follows Clint Ronan as he's going up the stairs taking guards out in the hallway coming back down it's a really really beautiful um, really nice one take that I did not expect in a movie like this but it's a really nice one take all up to the point where he kills the final boss and, he's, and he finds out that Natasha has been standing right there um, they have a bit of a heart to heart and she brings Clint back you know, away from all this bloody violence and brings him back to, um, cause they, they want to work it all out, brings him back to, um, Venice HQ. And then we've got, uh, Hulk and Rocket. They go get Thor from New Asgard, which is in Norway somewhere, as, um, um, Odin once said in, um, it looks like he was in Norway when he was in Thor Ragnarok, but it looks like that's where they are. And, uh, Thor is in a house you know, they meet Valkyrie first, and Valkyrie says he's not going to see you. And they said, yeah, it's bad. So then they go to his house. They find You find Meek and Korg. They're back. It's really cool to see them again. The voice of Taika Waititi again. That was really cool. Um, Korg's one of, one of my, my mate's uh, favorite character in the MCU. 
So um, it was uh, he was really excited to see him. He actually yelled in the theater. He said when he saw Cork. And then you get Thor, who is now fat. He's kind of a fat Thor now. He's like put on a lot of weight. As Rocket says, he looks like a melted ice cream. And um, they're playing Fortnite, which I don't know. I kind of cringed it a bit, but I get that they did that because the Russos are big fans of Fortnite, as they said. And they did that whole kind of partnership where Thanos was in Fortnite for a while. And now they're doing it again where they've got Captain America's shield, Stormbreaker, Mjolnir, um, all that stuff. And I think Thanos is coming back, I think, as well. But um, they've always had a good relationship between Epic and the Russos. So I guess that's why they put it in there. And then uh, Rocket says there's, there's beer in the fridge, um, beer on the um, beer on the ship, and then Thor follows him. But Thor's a bloody mess. He uh, he looks like Big Lebowski, honestly. Like the dude from the Big Lebowski. Um, even Tony kind of comments that. I think he says, like, uh, on your left or on your right, Lebowski, or something like that. Or coming through Lebowski when he's trying to, they're trying to build the quantum time machine. And then... Um, he looks, he looks just terrible. He looks terrible. And you can see that this is what he's done. He... I... This is... I, I get that's why it's made him fat. This is... Um, this seems to be some people's problem with the film. Um, they said that... They were kind of... Thor was kind of mistreated, I think. They, they said. Thor was definitely mistreated. And um, they thought it made him, made him a bit of a joke. But I saw this as like, this is rock bottom for Thor. Like he, he's always been this kind of figure of royalty and is always there to save the day. He always thinks he's there to save the day and, um, you know, save everyone, save, save everyone around him, save his friends, save his family and just be the hero. And he didn't do that in the Infinity War. He, he was so pissed off when uh, Loki was killed in Infinity War by Thanos and um, when he killed Heimdall, um, that's when he said, you're going to die for that, when he killed Heimdall. He, um, when he threw Stormbreaker into, into his chest and didn't get the head, when Thanos did the snap afterwards, that's when he felt like he failed even more. And then you see him in those beginning scenes where he's kind of sitting alone and he's just thinking all about it, running it over, mulling it over in his head. And he's just thinking, well, I could have done this, I could have done, I could have done that. Hindsight, you know. But I haven't. I, I failed everyone. And then when he gets the chance again to be a hero, he cuts off Thanos' head. And then they don't allow. You know, they're not able to get the situation because again, his feelings get the emotions get the better of him. And then he 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 reacts in a very irrational way. Um, and even he knows that. He knows he hits rock bottom. So this is it. This is depression. This is depression um, for Thor. I feel. And um, this is where kind of like. You know, he's had a great arc ever since um, Ragnarok when they they really changed him in Ragnarok and he became, um, he became what I think, he really became the God of Thunder in Ragnarok and um, had, a, you know, that kick-ass scene in Infinity War when they arrive in Wakanda um, with Stormbreaker and Rocket or Rabbit, as uh, they call him. But, you know, he, he's hit, rock. he's, he's, uh, He's at, the, he's at the the worst he's ever been because he feels like he's failed as a hero. He feels like he's failed as himself. Um, he failed to protect Asgard. It was blown up by Surta. And then he failed to protect his Asgardian people when Thanos killed all of them. And then, and then he failed to protect everyone in the universe when the whole 
when everyone was half of the world went away. So now he feels like there's nothing to do but to wallow in his sadness and depression in New Asgard in his little house. So this is that's what that's kind of my point. That's where I see it. That's where I, that's my kind of perspective on it all. Um, I'm not going to say that if he didn't like that kind of thing, I'm not going to be like, well, you're fucking wrong, and you shouldn't, you know. Uh, you shouldn't feel like that. If you do, if you do feel that way, that's fine. But I just wanted to give my perspective on that. That's what I kind of thought about all that. And I actually really, really liked how Thor was treated in this movie. How how he's um how he was. Um. So once they get Thor, they come back, and then Scott pretty much explains that you use the pin particles to shrink down into the um to get into the quantum realm, and then that's how you get to that to the, get to the different time places. So. He mistakenly uses one, and he said, "Well, this book, okay, we've got one one more to test." So then Clint volunteers to test it. He goes back. He gets to see Lila for a split second before he's pulled back, and then she's like, "Yeah, Dad." And then um, he's pulled back to present time, and he says, "Well, it works." So a brainstorming session kind of ensues, and they've got to work out where the stones are. And I just, I don't know, I really, really like this scene. I really like this scene where they're kind of brainstorming and working out where the stones could be, what the best places to get the stones were from. And this is where we're kind of building to like, okay, they're going back to the old movies here. They're going to go back and see the films from like, you know, this whole Infinity arc um, from different perspectives. And I thought that was really, really cool to, a way to explore that. And we're going to get to that when we get into act two. Um, I I really loved it. And I love the, I don't know. I really really love the scene where they just kind of, um, I think it's uh, Tony, Nat, and um, Scott, and I think Bruce. I think on the floor, and they're just they're just lying around and they're just um, working working everything out, talking. It's it felt like a bit of a slumber party. I don't know. It was just I don't know. It's just cute. <laughs> And I just liked it. It just, it doesn't, you know, they kind of, heroes got to think too. Heroes got to think. They don't just fucking save the day. They got to have a little bit of a brainstorm sesh. I remember doing that when I was in film school, just like lying around and just kind of throwing ideas around. And when I was in the writer's room for the TV show, just, um, you know, just, just shooting the shit and kind of working, um, throwing ideas out there, seeing if they work and uh, writing all that shit down and getting it ready. So through all this, you get a lot of you got you got a few jokes, um, and a few back and forth between the characters. But we mainly what we mainly get from this scene is that there are if you go correctly, look correctly in the timeline, there are actually three stones in New York in 2012, which is obviously the Avengers, um, the Tesseract, which is the space stone, Loki's scepter, the Mind Stone, and the Ancient One's necklace, um, hidden hidden behind the Eye of Agamotto, um, is the Time Stone. So, we get, so Steve, Tony, Bruce, and Scott volunteer to go to New York, and then for Asgard is the Aoife, and it's inside Jane, because we knew that from Floor of the Dark World, even though it's the worst one of all. Um, that is the Reality Stone, so Rocket and Thor go on that mission. We got Morag from 2014, is the Power Stone, we see that in Guardians of the Galaxy, and War Machine and Nebula uh, volunteer for that one. And then finally we've got the Soul Stone and Voromir, and um, I thought it was a great choice to send Nat and Clint on that one. 
um, yeah, really, really great choice. So everyone's going on their little, their, their, you know, a respective mission to try and retrieve the stones. And once they retrieve the stones, obviously they're going to try and reverse it all with Snap. Um, but we'll get to that in the third act. So the Avengers prepare for the time travel and they set off. We're into act two. This kind of plunges us into act two. And as I, as I said before, we're breaking act two into stones. So let's begin. So we arrive in New York 2012 during the Battle of New York, which is where Loki was like in charge of the Shatari army. And you've got the Avengers. Um, I think you, I'm pretty sure you open with that huge splash page shot where they're kind of, um, the camera, you know, circulates around them and you get that awesome posing shot. And then you get the heroes, our heroes, Steve, Tony, Bruce, and Scott arrive kind of in like this kind of alleyway with a lot of rubble behind them, around them. And then they set off. So Tony, Scott, and Steve go to get the Tesseract and the Scepter. And Bruce tries to get the Time Stone. So Bruce goes to the Sanctum Santorum. And you find out that the the um, Sorcerers and the Sorcerer Supreme, um, who is the Ancient One... Uh, oh no, who's the Sorcerer Supreme in there? I think he's another dude. But the Ancient One is on top of the roof. And she's you kind of see that she's fighting off aliens. So it's really, really cool to see that um, now from this new perspective that the Sorcerers were actually helping out during this fight... And um, they were they were kind of involved as well because they're um, you see her taking out a lot of um, Chitari kind of uh, mini leviathans I guess um, I wouldn't say like the big leviathans but you know the little ones the little flying aliens on air bikes I don't know what you call those things but like it was the one that was Loki's on he catches the arrow then it blows up and it knocks him out but I'm gonna call those air bikes. So Bruce goes there, Sanctum Centaurum on the rooftop to get the Time Stone. The Ancient One's there. Um, they have a chat, and she breaks down the rules of the time travel, and that if you get the stones, if you take them from the timeline, it creates another branching timeline. And to kind of collapse that branching timeline, you have to put the stones back in the exact same spot on the original timeline. Um, and you have no worries. That, that branch breaks off, and you're back to having that kind of um, that timeline. So then, uh, I think it's some some more dialogue happens again. I'm not gonna. I don't know everything, but um, some more dialogue happens, and then um, Bruce says, "Oh well, Strange must have messed up or something." And then the mention one kind of clicks on and is like, "Whoa, Strange, Stephen Strange." And um, I don't think she goes Stephen Strange because they actually talk about Stephen Strange like earlier in the conversation. He says, "She says like you're five years too early." Um, he's over there performing surgery. Uh, meaning that because Doctor Strange came out in 2016. Um, so he... He says that, and then she was like, well, he's the best of us, so he must know... This must have been done on purpose because he knows what's going to happen. She then gives him the Time Stone, and then Bruce is allowed to go back into his body, and they're allowed to leave. Tony and Scott head for the Tesseract, so Tony disguises himself as a SWAT officer while they're kind of collecting all the um, things like that. I think Clint makes a drink and drinks with Nat for a bit and they kind of hang out at the bar. And then the Hydra agents come up, take the scepter, and then um, you got um, Alexander Pierce from uh, Winter Soldier, who is the uh, Mr. Secretary, I think his name is. 
he's waiting to get the um he's waiting to get the uh what the fucking was it the tesseract <laughs> there's a lot of things in this movie <laughs> um so uh what do I talk about first okay so he gets the they try to get the tesseract from because Tony's holding it so he's about to give the tesseract to Alexander Pierce but he refuses to give it to Alexander Pierce so they're kind of wrestling over it and then what the, what the plan is that Scott is going to give Tony kind of a minor cardiac arrest through his like the wiring in his um, arc reactor so then he pulls that out Tony has the arc, um, the, the um, little heart attack drops the, drops the thing and then Tony as the SWAT officer um, I'll say Avengers Tony is 2012 Tony is um, Tony's a SWAT officer, present day Tony. He picks up the Tesseract and is about to go out as he's ambushed by the Hulk, who was told to take the stairs earlier in a scene where they got to take the elevator. And they said, no, you, know, you can't fit. You have to take the stairs. So then he's he's angry and he busts through. And then he that knocks Tony out. Tony drops the Tesseract. And then Loki picks up the Tesseract and kind of warps away. Now, what I think this is, this is kind of setting up what I think is the Loki show on Disney Plus, and because now that he has a tesseract, that has created another timeline, because it that can't really be put back because now he has it. So that's creating another timeline, and I I think I don't know if it's been confirmed, but I think that this is what the Loki show is going to be about on Netflix. It's going to be him kind of what he got up to in that different in that timeline leading up to Endgame maybe or leading up to his death. I don't know. Actually, probably not leading to his death because it's a different timeline. So, I don't know. Just just all the just all the stuff he was doing while he had that tesseract, that kind of, um, I guess the first tesseract. <laughs> so that's where I kind of think that's going. Um, so they realise they've failed, and um, they have to tell Cap. But Tap Cap is trying to get the Loki, the scepter, Loki scepter, which houses the Mind Stone, which later you they put in Vision. So it kind of teases like another elevator fight scene from Winter Soldier, which I thought was kind of cool. And I was like, oh shit, are we going to get another? It's the same exact people. It's awesome. And I just loved it. Because Winter Soldier is one of my favorite Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe films. And you'll find out where it sits on the rankings. Uh, So I thought that was coming. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so dope. And then Steve actually now older and more, I guess, more smarter outsmarts the Hydra agents I guess because he has like the information that they're fucking Hydra agents um whispering in um the I guess I always forget that dude's name because he was the he was in he was the one who whispered in Gary Shandling's ear in Winter Soldier but um he whispers in his ear like he comes into the elevator and then they was just like oh Cap we thought we were you know thought we had it from here and then he whispers in his ear hell Hydra and then he takes a scepter, very pleased with himself. But but he is then kind of surprised, has a surprise encounter with his 2012 version of himself. Because he, 2012 Cap, thinks that present day Cap is a kind of like a uh, vision of Loki. Because he wants to take him down because he says, like, you're not getting away with that, Loki. And then they have an awesome fight. They fight themselves, have an awesome, awesome fight. Really, really cool stuff. And you can see that. I don't know why, but Marvel is already spoiling it in TV spots. So if you've already seen some of those TV spots, you get what the kind of fight the fights are about. So um, they fight. 
and then um, that's, um, they have a really great, some really great dialogue where he does, I can do this all day, which is like kind of Cap's catchphrase at this point. He first says it in Inverse Avenger, and then he says it in Civil War, and he says it again here. And he says, I can do this all day. And then <laughs> President Day Cap's like, I know, I know. And now I thought that was a really, I don't know, I laughed at that bit. I laughed quite hard at that, that bit. And then they're about to, it looks like 2012 Cap has the advantage here, but then present day Cap says, Bucky is alive. And that kind of throws 2012 Cap off. Present day Cap gets the advantage. And then he does the mind control thing with the scepter where he taps on their chest. Loki did it a lot. <clears throat> and then he leaves with the scepter. And then we get the great line, That's Amer- that is America's ass. Which is a little joke. I mean, the, the, most of the jokes in this movie hit, just hit really well. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Hell, very, very funny at points. So that's what's happened in New York. Let's move on to Asgard in 2013, which is Thor the Dark World, the events of Thor the Dark World. Rocket and Thor arrive in Asgard to extract the ether, which is inside Jane. As we know, she kind of ingested the ether, was put inside her. Uh, Jane Foster, who was played by Natalie Portman, but she expressed disinterest in repairing any more Marvel films, so she was no longer any, any more Marvel films. But... Fun fact, she was at the premiere of this film in um, in North America. And um, they actually use some voiceover. She did some voiceover for the Russos. Uh, there's no extra scenes. It's a, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a deleted scene from Thor The Dark World. And then um, they use some... It's either deleted scenes or extra footage. I think it's extra footage, actually. And then um, they use some... They actually use Natalie Portman for some extra dialogue. I think it's when she's tr- telling where the... She's asking to wear some clothes, I think, from the um, Asgardian guards. Anyway, Thor sees Frigga, his mother, who unfortunately passed away in um, Thor the Dark World. Um, she was killed. And then they have a really, really beautiful moment. I thought that was a really... One of my favorite moments of the movie was when he, when Thor was having a conversation with his mother. I thought it was a really, really nice moment. And while he's doing that, Rocket is going to go extract the ether from Jane using this kind of extraction device. And um, just kind of pull it out of her, <laughs> apparently. So um, I don't know the phrase. I can't really. I don't. I don't want to paraphrase the thing. But Renee Russo has a really, really great line, and delivers it really, really well to Chris Hemsworth about being a hero or like being the person you're not. You're supposed to be or something like that. I, I, I can't. I don't want to paraphrase it. I don't want to talk about. It, um, say it exactly because I'm not going to look it up here because I know I'm. We're running on time here, but it's a really, really great line. When you watch it again, you'll look, you'll you'll know it when you uh, hear it. It's a really cool line, and, and Thor even calls back to that um, later when um, he departs on the Banatar in the end of the film. So um, it's a really, really touching goodbye. But before he does, he summons Mjolnir. He brings back Mjolnir. He's still worthy after all this time. Thor is still worthy of wielding Mjolnir. I thought it was a great moment. We're moving on to Morag, 2014, where Rhodey and Nebula arrive and see pretty much the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy number one, where um, Peter Quill, aka Star-Lord, is dancing to Redbone by, um, no, Come and Get Your Love by Redbone, sorry. <laughs> come and Get Your Love by Redbone. He's doing the dance and everything, and you kind of see those opening credits from like a new perspective, and it's just really, really funny because he like, he's kicking like 
bugs around and everything like that, and all these different space rats. I forget the actual name for them, but he's just kicking them around. And then he gets like him, you get him like singing, but you get it from like a different context. And you know, <coughs> it kind of um, it's a really cool and funny way to re um, recontextualize that scene. And uh, I liked how they did that. And then Rhodey's like, so he's an idiot. <laughs> Which, um, you know, was great. So um, they knock him out as he's doing the slide. And then they go to the temple to um, extract the power stone, or the power stone orb, I should say, from that um, kind of pedestal thing. And then Rhodey goes back, but Nebula can't because the communications are hacked into by 2014 Thanos, Gamora, and Nebula, who were there at the same time. Nebula kind of um, explains that we're not the only ones um, here on Morag in 2014. And then that's when you get that Thanos is actually there. And this is where Thanos comes into play in this film. Um, you've already got a big role in Avengers Infinity War because it was pretty much his film from his perspective, as I said before. But, um, and this is definitely the more of the Avengers' film. But um, Thanos is still in this movie and he's still a big threat, as I'll get to um, very soon. So, they kind of hack the memories of, um, uh, the Gamora, um, the Gamora, the Nebula, and, um, they find out that, like, everything, where the Avengers are, what Thanos did, and he's going to, obviously, come up with a plan to get those stones, and do it a different way, I'll say, and, um, he plans to do a big ambush, which we'll get to in Act 3. But now let's talk about Vormir, which is again one of my favorite scenes of the film. <coughs> Everything bad happens in Vormir, guys. Because you gotta kill someone, you gotta kill a friend, you gotta kill a family member to get that stone. Which is um, obviously what Nat and Clint are not ready to find out when they get to um, Vormir. Because they're once again greeted by Red Skull. And he says, you gotta... He does the exact same speech from Infinity War, you know, a soul for a soul, and then uh, Nat and Clint engage in combat to, um, to tr in order to be the first one to be that to do that sacrifice. Clint saying all these things like, you know, this is this is like what I wanted to do, like what I've turned into is disgusting, and he's like, well, you have a family. I'm trying to right my wrongs and everything. I want to wipe Black Widow wants to wipe that red off her ledger. As she talks about in uh, Avengers, the first Avengers, when she's talking to Loki in the interrogation scene, when he's in that kind of tank, which is a great scene, by the way. And um, they have a bit of a fight, a bit of a tussle, and uh, it turns out that they're hanging. That it, it kind of that scene kind of ends in um, Hawkeye hanging from a cliff, grabbing that. And then Nat says, it's it's like I'm let like it's okay. Letting go. She lets go. He obviously he's very, 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 very upset, obviously, because his best friend just died. Um, and then yeah, unfortunately, Black Widow dies. She hits the um which I was not expecting at all. I was not expecting this at all. But as soon as we get like the Vormir scene where they're kind of lost, I was like, are they really gonna kill one of these characters right now? Already? And yeah, we lost, we lose, we lose um, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, um, and once again, 
just brilliantly played by Scarlett Johansson. This is definitely the best she's ever been. I think Scarlett did a great job in this film. Um, and I, we get the exact same shot, kind of like where Gamora was lying at the at the, at the uh, bottom of Vormir, that little death pit, I guess I'll call it. Uh, the exact same shot, exact like same music. It's all everything's the same. And then just like Thanos wakes up in the kind of like the shallow water at the um, at the away from the mountain, uh, Black, uh, sorry, Clint wakes up as well and discovers that he now he has the Soul Stone. But because Nat has just died, um, he is very frustrated and uh, you know very upset. Again, he just lost his fucking best friend. So what else? How else? How else are you going to act? Um. Now I saw a um. Okay, this is kind of my perspective. Again, this is another one of my perspectives. But I did. I saw an article on. Um, I was on Facebook and I saw an article that pretty much said that. Black Widow was um, fridged in this film. She was very mistreated. Her character was mistreated poorly, and it was not the best thing to, you know, not happen. And it was very, you know, she was like, you know, is a piss poor treatment of a character, pretty much. And the uh, and if you don't know what fridged is, it's because um, I I didn't know it either, so I did a bit of research and then I looked it up, and uh, it's apparently in the Green Lantern comics. I think it's Hal Jordan. He comes home to find that his girlfriend has been killed and then put into a refrigerator. And then that compels him to obviously, you know, go on a revenge mission or, you know, um, um, fulfills him to like kind of, you know, save the world and, you know, do them, you know, do superhero shit. Okay. <laughs> um, and so people are saying that, um, well, the author of this article definitely was saying that she was fridged, like she was just there so Clint could carry on to get the soul stone. Um, and then the Avengers could carry on to kill and, you know, win against Thanos. Um, I kind of, I mean, there's a few points in the articles. I read the whole article. I didn't just skim over it. Um, there's a few points in the article I do agree with, but there's also the, the main point definitely of her being fridged. I just, I can't agree with, I'm sorry. Um, I just don't think, I don't think she was fridged. I think this was the best outcome for that scene. Her character as Natasha Romanoff is, you know, she's a, she's a Russian spy. Like she's um, she grew up without a family, and her family is the Avengers. And um, then people are saying like, oh, she had the Avengers as a family. Why why'd they kill her? Why not kill Clint? Well, first of all, Clint has has a family, has an actual family, with his wife, um, who's played by Linda Cardellini. I I'm like notice I'm saying his wife this whole fucking podcast because I forget her name. Um, I think it's Sarah, I think. I think it's Sarah. Um, uh, Sarah, 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 Sarah. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. No, 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 Lindsay? No, it's not Lindsay. Ah, uh, Laura, Laura, sorry, Laura. Um, here's, here's Laura and his two kids. And as I said before, in Avengers, her whole character arc has been about wanting to wipe the red from a ledger. And she feels that this is this is the best way she can, you know, um, I guess, cleanse herself of her sins. 
and because her whole there's her she's been kind of a tragic character this this whole time um there's been a lot of moments throughout these movies where she's she's felt that kind of pressure and she's felt that she's you know that she's a monster um i, I think she says that in avengers of ultron i believe um even when loki says you know um no she says you're a monster to loki i think in the first avengers but um, it's when she has that moment with Hulk in Avengers on the Farm, Avengers of Ultron in, in, the, in the Barton Farm, where they're talking about that they're both monsters. I just feel like this is the best thing for her character here, and it really resonates emotionally with with most of the audience, I feel. Everyone, I mean, most of the people I talked to said that that was the best way to go, and um, they really were affected by that death. And to lose Natasha like that was heartbreaking. Um, but not obviously not as uh, I wouldn't say equally because there's obviously not enough film and they say there's not enough time to do no, they say I mean the article says that they didn't do a funeral for her either and I'm just saying like the rules of filmmaking obviously you want to keep the pacing tight and to do it you know to stop in the middle of that to do a film a, a, a funeral for Natasha I mean is I don't know I think it would just it would it would halt the film for a bit I think and I'm not I'm not to say and that's not being insensitive to her insensitive to her character I just think that you know when it comes to filmmaking you want to keep the pacing tight and this film has good pacing like I said in my um, non-spoiler review this film has really good pacing and um, it just keeps going it's going it's going it's going and to have that funeral I think would have interrupted that kind of pacing so and we do get some uh, we know we do get her mentioned at the end of the film between Clint and um, Wanda. So she does still get mentioned again. She means a lot, and she definitely plays in that scene when you get that all female show at the end. You know, you you wish Black Widow was there, but you know she's there in spirit. You know she's the one that inspired that shot. So you know, argue with me all you want, but I just think that her, that is that was the best way to do that scene. It was the best way for her character to go, and. Um, you know, her legend lives on. She's still getting a solo film. It's probably going to be a prequel, but she's still getting a solo film. I cannot wait to see it. Um, I'm really, really interested to see what they do there, and I hope it plays back to like the ballet, the ballet school and everything, and the cover cover up for it. But um, and I and, and I want to fucking find out what happened. What happened in Budapest? Because they say it again in this movie. They fucking say it again. When I've said it on this podcast, I believe like twice that I want to find out what the fuck happened in Budapest. I want to find out, um, because they say it again in this movie, where he's, where they go through, they go for the space jump, um, in the, uh, Benatar, and then he says, we're a long way from Budapest, I think, and, um, they have a little, little moment between them, I just want to find out what happened in Budapest, man, I just want to find out what happened in Budapest, like, tell me what happened in Budapest, please, I want to find out. Even if it's like not in, not much of an integral mission, I just want to see what happened in Budapest. Is this was this when they first met, kind of met each other? Is this when really cool if that was when they first met too, or if this one they're kind of in a you know a mission with each other in Budapest if they work together? I just want to know, guys. I just want to know. Hashtag what happened in Budapest? It's the new it's the new film with Clinton Nat. What happened in Budapest? So yeah, that's what I want to say on that. That's what I believe. Um, I'm. That's I just yeah. That's those are my thoughts. I mean, it's nothing. It's. I'm not bashing the person that wrote the article, but I just I just don't agree with it. 
Um, right, let's go back to the Tesseract, which is the Space Stone. Uh, because they failed, they need to go to a, a previous time. So Tony and Cap um, have a little moment, and Scott's like, what the fuck's going on, guys? And then Cap gives um, Scott the scepter and says, like, you take this back. And he goes, like, you guys only have pin particles. You've only got enough for one more um, run round. And um, Steve kind of devises, you know in that moment, and you, and I love that there's no much dialogue there, and he's like, well, we can do this. Like, It's very subtle, and it's, it's really, really cool how they, how they did that scene, because you don't get explained, like, this is like this is an example of the scene if they did it, there's a lot of exposition. You know, if we go to Camp Leha in the 1970s, we can actually find the Tesseract. Oh, really? Oh, was P Hank Pym there as well? Oh, yeah, he probably was. Oh, he can probably get some pin particles as well. Oh, yeah, cool, great. And then Scott's just like, oh, guys, good luck with that. But I like how you get the confusion from Scott, and then they're kind of like, you, you, they're having like a conversation in your head. And then me as an audience member, I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here. They're going to go back to, um, they're going to go back. I didn't know it was going to be Camp Lehi, but they're going to go back to a time where they can get the Tesseract, but also get Pym Particles. So I didn't really, it was really cool to kind of, you know, get that from that scene. And again, you get the great scene, which is in the trailer where, um, Cody's like, do you trust me? And then Steve's like, I do. And then they get the, you get the, you know, the shaking hand, you get the Carl Weber's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not as epic as that, but you kind of get the, you know, let's do this. They go back to Camp Leha in the 1970s where Cap was made and where Howard Stark had the Tesseract. So, and also, it's where Hemp Pym used to work. And he's, um, he, and, uh, Michael Douglas kind of cameos as like a, de-aged um Hank Pym sorry and um he also plays himself as well <coughs> sorry also plays himself as well but he kind of plays um there's a there's a de-aged him as well and Steve goes into his lab to get some pin particles, and Tony goes to get the Tesseract from... I don't know whose lab it is, but Howard Stark comes in from behind and asks for Dr. Zola, who we know is Toby Jones from the films. He was Dr. Zola in American First Avenger. Captain America, the First Avenger, and then he plays a bit of a hologram in Winter Soldier. Who is a, is a Hydra agent, as well. He's a Hydra agent. So, there you go. Cap has a little moment where he's a little close encounter with Peggy. He kind of looks there for a curtain. That kind of reminded me of the um, office moment where... Ryan's like, <laughs> I think it's either, um, you get, you get the, you got the scene where Jim is looking for the, the, um, kind of the blinds through the window, but then you got the, uh, <laughs> the moment where Ryan's like, uh, it doesn't compare to the way that Michael looks at me. And then Michael's like looking through the, um, the, uh, blinds in his office. <laughs> anyway, the office guys, it's great. Um... So he gets a little moment, and then she mentions Braddock, who is, um, I found out from someone, which is who's Captain Britain. So, um, a cool little, uh, little bit of trivia there for you there. And then he sees that his photo is on her desk as a photo frame. So obviously she hasn't really forgotten, um, obviously she's kind of moved on, but has not forgotten who Steve was and, and meant to her. So that's a really cool moment, I thought, and I really love the conversation that Tony and Howard have together as well. It's one of a father-son moment, and um, it's a really, yeah, really. It's another one of those beautiful moments in this film that really makes, you know, makes these characters superheroes don't look like kind of these, you know, 
you, you, you get the context of the 11 years and 22 films kind of thing because you know you've been following these characters for a long time but it, it this again this film kind of really really humanizes these characters and you know they've got you know they got feelings too they can hit rock bottom like Thor has hit rock bottom and uh, it's clear that Tony you know misses his dad but also doesn't want to be who his dad was and his dad explains that so they've got to go he gives how he gives Howard like the weird hug and he's like oh I don't know who that was um and then you get Jarvis who was in Captain Agent Carter TV series so this is kind of, this is kind of like the first crossover between the <coughs> cuz technically the shows are part of the MCU so you get the first crossover from uh Agent Carter with Jarvis and it's the same Jarvis from that who's the uh limo driver or the uh, chauffeur, as they want, if you want to say, and then they get so they got the tesseract, they got the pin particles, and they go back to they go back to present time, and we're in Act Three. So, Tony, Bruce, and Rocket craft a gauntlet from the nanotech that Tony has to wield the stones to, you know, power them up and have a little gauntlet. It's pretty much Tony's own version of the Infinity Gauntlet. And then they kind of fight over who's not really not really fight, but they discuss who's going to take the gauntlet. Thor wants to do the gauntlet because he believes that you know this is a good chance of redemption. And um, you know he says like, "Let me do something right." It's a really uh, Chris Hemsworth is great in this scene where he's like, "Let me do something right, please." And um, I thought his, his, his acting in that scene was really really great. And you can just see how desperate Thor is as a character to redeem himself. Um, but then Bruce says, no, I need to be the one to do with it because this, this, uh, gauntlet, there's going to be a lot of gamma radiation and pretty much I was born from gamma. So, you know, it's a no brainer guys, but obviously it's going to take a lot of toll on, um, him as well. So he puts the gauntlet on. You can see how much damage it does. So you're like, oh fuck, if any of these humans put it on, it's going to fuck them up exponentially. And then um, <clears throat> he does the snap. He gets very, very, very injured. And then um, he succeeds. So this snap was to bring everybody back. And um, it worked. Everyone's back. Um, you can you kind of see like it's a bit more sunny outside. You can hear some birds. Scott Lang's looking in. He's like, oh shit, it must have worked. And then Clint gets a call from Laura. And he goes over... And he's like talking to her, and then like you know, you know the snaps worked. But something, something's going on. Something's awry. Where the quantum time machine is, Nebula, who is actually 2014 Nebula, not past Nebula. She's working as a spy, and she is here to fuck some shit up and bring Thanos to present times. So what she does is brings is makes brings the uh, the timestamp from 2014 Morag to here, and Thanos' ship appears in the quantum portal, smashes through the roof, goes up, <coughs> excuse me, smashes through the roof, and then um, in in that in that happening destroys the quantum time machine, so they can't use it after that, takes it out completely. So then um, there's kind of like a moment of hope, and then. 
bang! They're immediately attacked by Thanos' ship. Blows Avengers HQ to fucking smithereens. Blows that shit up. And uh, reduces the HQ to rubble. Everyone's dead. No, everyone, no, no one's dead. But um, people are trapped. You've got uh, Clint, uh, Hulk, Rocket are trapped between rubble. You've got Rhodey and rubble as well. Um, everyone's trapped. Everyone's... Uh, it, it looks like a, it's a moment of... Um, oh, shit. Like... We're fucked. <laughs> kind of moment here. And, um... During this moment as well, Clint has the gauntlet he's running from Ch from Chitauri aliens. And <coughs> I thought the scene where he shoots the arrow into, like, the um, hallway was definitely reminiscent of a scene from Aliens. I think it was Alien or Aliens, which uh, they shoot a flare and then it shows how many aliens are coming at him. That was definitely, that was definitely inspired by... That shot was definitely inspired by one of those films. I have to say that. It was really cool to see that. And um, I was like, that has to be. Come on. Come on. Come on, Russo's. Um, and then Clint goes up, and then he's attacked by 2014 Nebula, and then and then present-day Nebula and Gamora, because Gamora kind of, uh, you know, learns from um, present-day Nebula that, like, you know, they, they hate each other at first, but they learn to be better people, and they learn to be better to each other, and love each other, and be sisters. And then Gamora's convinced that, like, something weird's going on, my dad's not who he says he is, everyone is going to die. <laughs> so... Again, they attack 2014 Nebula, and in the ensuing of that, um, there's something crawling around me. In the ensuing of that, uh, 2000 uh, present day Nebula shoots 2014 Nebula and kills her. She dead. So now uh, Clint has the um, Clint has the gauntlet now. So Thanos has now arrived. He is here, and then Tony Cap. Uh, or Steve, I should say. But now, because they're in their hero kind of costumes now, I'll say I'm going to recall them by their actual hero names. So Iron Man, Cap, and Thor are waiting at the um, kind of like kind of like a window, and it's like because it's all rubble around them, and they're waiting at the window, waiting for Thanos to arrive, and he's just sitting there. And Thor says he's just sitting there, and then he kind of announces because he's kind of like a meaner Thanos. This kind of he's a younger meaner Thanos from 2014, and uh, he's more ruthless. Because Infinity War, he definitely had kind of like a an air of peace, peacefulness to him, because he knew what he was what he was doing was the right thing to do, and um, he said that what well, it, well, it needs to be done because he you know he he had his um uh, his uh, reasoning of like overpopulation and how many how how much food there is and then how much bellies are need to be fed but there's not enough food to feed so many bellies so that's why he that's his kind of reasoning for the snap and to take out half of the population for a total equalization um he but this time around he knows what this thanos has seen the whole plan he knows that it doesn't work even he even when he does that and tries to retire as a peaceful man or a mad titan <laughs> Um, he says that he sees that it doesn't work and they try and they kill him. So he says, well, this time around, this ain't fucking happening. So what he says this time around is he's going to destroy the entire universe and enjoy it. So you can see now that he means business. He's ready to fuck some shit up. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if he kills any of these people anymore. He doesn't see it as an act of kindness to them or an act of peace to them 
or a kind of like an act of mercy, sorry, an act of mercy to them all. There is no mercy from this Thanos. He wants to kill everyone and he's going to enjoy it, he says. And um, it was really interesting to see that contrast from 2014 Thanos to the 2018 Thanos that we got in Infinity War where like he's, you know, <coughs> what it's all about. He, um, he's kind of, you can see where he's coming from on reasonable side and you can understand his motivation for it all. But this Thanos, you're just like, oh shit, yeah, he's a bad dude. <laughs> you got to take him out. So, they kind of fight him one-on-one. -on -one. Thor brings Mjolnir and Stormbreaker down. Um, and uh, he, you know, um, I guess, he kind of has the God of Thunder moment where he gets the thunder to him. Um, a lot of people are saying, is, oh, he should have buffed up there. But oh, I liked how he stayed, you know, as a big, thick four. I like to say it is that because it doesn't, it kind of sends out a good message of kind of just being like, well, even though, you know, depression got to him and all that stuff and he's like, he, he looks like a, you know, he looks fat now. It's not going to stop him from trying to do his best to save everyone or trying to do, um, you know, to try to do the right thing, as he, as he said before. Uh, being fit or being um, so, you know, so big and strong doesn't need to be a motivator to um, do the right thing. So that's what I kind of saw in that scene. That's why I liked that. I liked that. Again, I loved Thor's arc in this film. So Tony, Thor, and Steve fight Thanos one-on-one. -on -one. They each kind of lose and have the little moments, but they each get beaten by Thanos. And um, Th uh, Thor gets the handle of Stormbreaker and um, like, it, like it kind of mirroring a scene from Infinity War is about to push it into Thor's chest and about to kill him. But uh, Mjolnir comes and knocks Thanos off, goes to the side, and you think Thor's wielding Mjolnir, but no, 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 no. Goes, camera pans with Mjolnir, hits, lands in Captain America's fucking hands. Holy shit, this is amazing. This was amazing. This moment was fucking incredible. And it's calling back to a scene in Age of Ultron, which is one of my favorite scenes in that film, where they're trying to kind of lift Mjolnir, and they're trying different people are trying different ways and to, to lift it. And uh, Thor says simply, "You're not worthy." And then Captain America tries to pull it up. He tries to pull it up, but it doesn't. It, it budges a little bit, and it kind of freaks out Thor. And like, oh shit, this guy, you know, he could have it. But finally, we we get the payoff that Captain America is definitely worthy of Mjolnir, and then we get that great line from Thor. Oh, I knew it. And then, oh, oh my god, man, it's so fucking good. <laughs> It's if it's a definitely a fan service moment, but paying off Age of Ultron like that, that especially that scene, and then paying off this 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 whole entire Infinity Arc over eleven years, I feel like we've definitely earned it, and I feel like no, I feel like the Russos have definitely earned that to you know to deliver these kind of crowd pleasing moments. Um, so he gets he gets in, you, you get a nice little fucking uppercut, boom, and then he. Fucking fucks with Thanos a bit with the hammer. He gets a lot of shield action as well. Really, really cool fights. Really cool and creative ways to do this as well. There's a really, it's a really cool uh, moment as well in, in the um, beginning of that fight where Thor shoots a bit of thunder into Tony's kind of reactors at the back, and then he kind of gives a gives him a nice little pulsar beam to knock into Thanos. And I thought that was a really cool way to work together. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool creative ways that this fight can um, pan out. And then. Um, 
So he beats beats him for a little while, and then um, Thanos gets the upper hand, starts beating on Cap's shield, kind of halves Cap's shield, and it looks exactly like Cap's shield did in Tony's vision in Avengers: Age of Ultron, where his shield is in in half, and he's Tony has that vision of like <coughs> everyone dead on those steps, and all the Jatari and the Leviathans like flying around him, Thanos in the background, all that stuff. That's when Wanda like gets to his head and does the fucking mind control kind of thing. Same thing he does, she does the cap, same thing she does the Thor. And, um, looks exactly like that. I thought it was a cool callback again to Age of Ultron again. Which again, is not one of the best MCU films, but, you know, again, it gets paid off. Um, so then everyone's down. Iron Man's down. Thor's down. But Captain America, Thanos brings his whole fucking army. Chitari, everyone. Ebony Moore, Poxton and Midnight, Corvus Glaive, the big one. I forget his fucking name. <laughs> I always forget that big one's name. They're all back, and then they're about to Captain America. They're to get Captain America. And then we get... Um, he, it looks like he's about to fight the whole entire army. And it's just so cool in that shot to see that no matter the cost, no matter how much threat is upon him, Steve Rogers, a Captain America, is willing to put himself and his life on the line to do his absolute best to win this sort of battle. He couldn't even... He probably has a high possibility of losing the battle, but he doesn't care. He's, he's going to do it because he's always been this kind of selfless person. And... Um, you get a really great... One of my... is Now, one of my favorite shots in the MCU where it's got Captain America kind of... <laughs> I mean, you can see it all over the net now, but it's got Captain America down in the um, bottom left, and then you've got the whole Chitauri army and Thanos' army and fucking Thanos and heaps of shit. Like, all his fucking... His whole army is just, like, on the other side, and it's got one man against the whole army. It's a really cool shot. It says a lot in, like, one... What is what's the phrase? Like, a million words in one picture or something like that. Um, a picture is a million words. Uh, I forget what that says. <clears throat> I forgot what that phrase is, but you know what I mean. Um... But he, um, so he's about to take him on, but he hears a bit of a crackle in his radio. On your left. And then you get like, oh shit, call back to win a soldier. Oh, Sam Wilson, Falcon. Yeah, it is. But it's not actually. Portal opens up. Black Panther comes through the portal with Shuri. And, um, I believe it's, is it a Koye? I think it's a Koye. Uh, I think it's Koye, yeah. With, um, <clears throat> and Shuri's got the hand cannons. Oh, she looks great. She's got the hand cannons. And, um, and then you get Sam Wilson, AK Falcon, fly overhead. And then this is where you get an absolutely fucking jaw-dropping moment of the whole film. It's incredible. Absolutely fucking, like, indescribable, this fucking scene. This whole battle, really. But this scene is where I was just like, holy shit. I don't know if I can take much more of this. <laughs> this film has just given me everything. Um, absolutely insane. Portals are opening up. Sorcerers are opening these portals. And every single hero in the MCU it comes out of these portals. I'm not even fucking exaggerating. There's, there's, there's Asgardians. There's fucking Ravages. There's Howard the fucking Duck. Everyone's here. And then Doctor Strange comes out and is like, was that everyone? And then <laughs> Wong says... Well, you wanted more, and then uh, it was great, you know, great line to say, like, you know, it's kind of like, um, 
because there's, there's already fans that are going around saying like, oh, I wish we got that in the battle, wish we got this in the battle, or wish we got, you know, what were the heroes you wanted to see? And I was like, well, you fucking, you want more? You got everyone there. Everyone's in that fucking scene. So, um, that was a cool moment. And then, uh, Melnia's flying around. You get the whole lineup. Peter's back. Peter and Tony have the great, um, reunion. It's beautiful. I nearly cried there, folks. Nearly cried there, but it didn't. Oh, well enough there. And then you got the whole lineup. Everyone's getting ready. And then we finally get a payoff that we have had since 2015. That's been teasing since 2015. And we finally hear Captain America say the words, Avengers Assemble. And it's fucking... It's just... It's everything you want. It's it's really it's everything you want as an MCU and Marvel fan. It's it's just it feels so I guess rewarding for watching eleven years of this fucking arc and twenty two films. It's so it's just so extremely rewarding to hear that phrase. It's it's two fucking words. It's two words. You know, two fantastical words, but they. The these two words just have a lot of resonance, and um, to finally hear them was just ah, oh, it was awesome. It was so fucking awesome. Um, you get kind of like a, a Thanos tries to blow this kind of the the dam up, I think, and then Strange goes over to the uh, portal, it kind of um, not the portal, the dam, and kind of you know puts his magic on that. He's holding back that. Tony's looking at that. Everyone's playing a bit of gauntlet football and trying to get it away from Thanos. We get a cool moment where Spider-Man's riding the fucking Valkyrie unicorn. I mean, Pegasus, sorry. Riding the Valkyrie Pegasus. Spider-Man's flying around. Giant Man killing things. Giant Man punching a Leviathan. You're getting everything. You're just getting everything. You're getting fucking everything. And then, um... He gives Tony the one-finger gesture, meaning... Which is, I didn't, I thought he was just, so when I first watched this, just a bit of context, when I first watched this, I was just like, oh, is it, is it just going, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, but no, uh, my f a friend of mine who I was watching the film with just said, no, this is it, this is the one timeline where we win, this is it, this is the one chance out of um, 14,605,000, I believe it was, I think, I think it was, and, um, this is it. There's one where we win, and this is the one. And then in that moment, it's just two looks between two great actors. Tony knows exactly what to do, and Tony knows that this is this is this is this is it. This could be it for him, and this is what he needs to do. This is the sacrifice he needs to make. He's come from an, a person that has been really, you know, a bit of a douchebag, a bit of a playboy, a bit of a just a very selfish person to being the one that makes the sacrifice. Even Captain America says in the Avengers. You're not the one to make the sacrifice. Well, guess what, fucking Captain America from 2012? Tony's making the fucking sacrifice in this film, and we're going to cry our dicks off. Um, I mean, that is very... quite impossible, but... <laughs> you know, the point is, it, things are going to get really wet. Um, I mean, I, I just took it somewhere even worse. We're going to cry. There we go. <laughs> we're just going to say it. And that's where, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but Jesus Christ. Um, Peter Quill's also reunited with past Gamora. They kind of had a bit of a moment, but Gamora, because, you know, she's 2014, Gamora doesn't know the relationship she has with Peter Quill. He gets kneed in the balls, and uh, he knows, they're just like, oh, oh shit, okay. You know, 
We'll have to find the real one. And um, Peter has the gauntlets getting attacked, and then Captain Marvel comes down, I believe. She takes out the ship, Thanos' ship, and um, just just fucking destroys it. Just, just nukes the bitch. Takes it down. She comes to get the gauntlet off Peter. And then um, he's like, how are you going to get through all this whole army? And then, then Okoye says, she's got help. And then all the females come down, which is a, was a beautiful, beautiful shot. A really, really cool shot. Really cool shot to see. I love this shot. Where you get all the females in all in one shot running together, facing, about to head on into the army. But it's it's literally, it's everyone. You got, you got Wasp, you got Peter Pot, Pepper Potts, Pepper Potts. Peter Potts. Um, Pepper Potts in the rescue army. You've got Okoye. Um, you've got... Um, you got Gamora, you got every everyone's in there. Captain Marvel, Scarlet Witch. Every all the females are in there. And they run at them and then they all kind of split up. Captain Marvel has the gauntlet. Um and then goes over to get Thanos. And then um she goes. She kind of wrestles with Thanos for a bit, and then um I really like this scene because then you see like the extent of Captain Marvel's power, where he just fucking headbutts her, and then she does not even move. She doesn't even move a muscle. And you know, say what you will about Captain Marvel, but I thought that moment was really, really fucking good. And it just it just showed that this, you know, she is nothing to mess with, and she is this is why she's one of the most powerful superheroes, really. Um, but, 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 doesn't mean she's the smartest. Thanos gets the power stone, takes it out of the gauntlet, knocks her back, kind of outsmarts her, and because the power stone is, she's, you know, she's got some of the space, the Tesseract energy, she's, has, it's not better than what the stones are. <coughs> I guess a stone against stone power kind of eliminates that other stone's power, so she gets knocked back, she gets dispatched. And he has the power. St- he puts the has a power stone. He gets the gauntlet. Tony goes for the gauntlet. They kind of wrestle for a bit. He brushes Tony off, and then he finally says, "I am." Well, he says he said before, "I am ine- inevitable," but he says it again, "I am inevitable." Then he goes for the snap, and nothing happens. And you're like, "What the fuck? What's going on here?" And then it's revealed that Tony has taken the stones out of that gauntlet and put it into his own gauntlet on his Iron Man suit. And then he says the fucking awesome words, which was mirrors back to the the uh, final words of Iron Man One. I mean, who is this motherfucker? And he he lets us know who the fuck he is. He makes the sacrifice and says, "I am Iron Man." Bang! Snap! First viewing, whole theater fucking jumps up, cheers everywhere. Cheering's coming from everywhere. Everyone's losing their shit, their shit right now. And then we immediately cut to a scene where, I mean, he's dead. He's 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 gonna die. And uh, you know, this is where everyone starts welling up here. But I didn't cry yet. I was kind of welling up. But it's not until, you know, Peter has his moment and says like, "We won." I think it's "We won." Then he has his little moment with him. And then she gets he gets brushed aside by Pepper. And I didn't. This is when I cried. I cried at this line here. You can rest now, Tony. That's when that's when I fucking lost it. And he says, it's okay, it's okay, like, you can rest now. That kind of calls back to the Iron Man 3 when he couldn't rest during, because again, he had those nightmares about Battle of New York and then he couldn't sleep. And he says, it's it's, it's like, you did it, like, you can rest now. And then she, I just loved how that scene played out because she kind of, she Pepper composes herself, Gwyneth Paltrow, I mean, she did this scene excellently. Say what you want about her, she was excellent in this film. 
especially in this scene. Um, it's I, I just loved how the scene played out because she composes herself as she's talking to Tony. He has his kind of like his... I guess he doesn't really say anything, but he's, I think the only things he says is his hey pep or something like that. And then um, he gets the look and it just looks so... It's, it looks ghastly. And you're like, oh my God. It's just tugging at your heartstrings. Fucking Iron Man. Iron Man, the man who is, is farted at all from 2008 is going to die. And uh, my friend next to me, who was a massive fan of Iron Man, oh yeah, she was. She lost it. Um, she lost it. I mean, we all lost it. I mean, we all lost it at this bit. I was shaking. I was obviously, sh I was honestly shaking. And um, I just loved when she. It was. It was not until he died, and that's when she lost it. That's when she lost control. And I just loved how that scene played out because usually you get the. <laughs> And you get in this kind of scene, you kind of get like the. Oh, it's okay. It's, yeah, it's it's just. I just loved how that was written, and I loved how that was done. Really loved that scene. And then that is the end of Act Three, when we kind of reach what I call the epilogue, which is Tony's funeral. Um, everyone's there in kind of black getup, uh, suits, dresses, all that stuff. What you wear to a funeral? <laughs> um, his first arc reactor is actually on his coffin on on flowers, and it floats out to the. Um, is it a coffin? I don't know. It's something. I think it's just these arc reactor that floats on a couple of flowers on the lake. And um, it's the arc reactor from Iron Man 1. And it's like the one that says Tony, um, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. What Pepper gave him as a gift. <clears throat> That's on there. That was beautiful to see. Cried at that bit. <laughs> and then um, everyone's there. Everyone's there in um, in their suits, dresses, all the black, black stuff. And then even a teenager there. Who's that teenager? Well, that's actually Harley Keener from Iron Man 3, the kid that even crashes down, I believe it's Alaska, that he crashes down in, and it's that kid who's like kind of like the mechanic or something like that. And he has that little moment with him, and then he, you know, leaves him in a very funny way. But um, it's that. It's that kid all grown up. So there you go, a little fact there for you. <clears throat> then you get Captain Marvel sitting... Um, on the deck, um, standing on the deck, you've got Maria Hill, she's back, and then you pan over, and then who is it? Who is it? None other than Nick Fury, the man who also started it all. Um, everyone's there, it's a beautiful scene. And then we cut to Clint and Wanda kind of consoling each other, um, taking solace in the fact that uh, both Nat and, and Vision um, would be proud of their victory. And it's a really great scene. Um between them two. Um, and then we get Thor going to, back to New Asgard, and it looks like he's going to go back there, But and Valkyrie says, well, you can, st you know, what are you going to do here with these people? And he goes, well, you know, <clears throat> I think you'd be the better, better person for them. I'm, I'm not even, these are not the quotes, but I'm just paraphrasing. I think you'd be the better person for them. Here we are. You can be the Queen of Asgard. Makes her the new Queen of Asgard, which is so fucking dope, because I love Valkyrie. And um, I love Tessa Thompson. And uh, it was really cool to give her that. He then gets on the Banatar with Rocket. And it looks like he's joining the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is pretty cool. Um, he tries to play with the map for a bit with um, Star-Lord. Some great jokes there. Because they're trying, obviously, still trying to one-up each other. and trying to be the captain of that ship. But what I could, this could be setting up is he kind of makes the jokes of being the Asgardians of the Galaxy, which is a comic, apparently. Uh, I think it is a comic. 
And um, this could be the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I believe that Thor is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is going to be really, really cool. Him flying around the Guardians would be awesome. And um, I think that plot's going to be kind of searching for the Gamora and trying to get her back into the Guardians. And then that could even set up a fourth Thor film. Um, that's what I think. That could that What could happen there? That could be really cool. We don't really know, like, for sure, obviously, what's going to going on at the moment. Because James Gunn said he's like, that film's going to be films next year. So, um, we don't know the full details there yet. But I think that could be cool if they have, like, Adam Warlock in that movie as well. And then you have, like, a fourth Thor movie from that. <clears throat> cool stuff. And then we get Clint going back to his, her, his family. Everyone's reunited. He's reunited with his um, wife and two sons. Peter gets back to school. Is, is reunited with Ned, um, who's his best friend, as we know from Homecoming, um, because I believe that they were all dusted as well. So that's why they're kind of all the same age again in um, Far From Home, which, again, I'll talk to in the next part of the podcast. Um, so he gets kind of back to school with them. That's a beautiful moment between them. They do their little handshake. Cool stuff right there. <clears throat> and then we in our final scene... Uh, Steve prepares to return the stones to their original timelines as the ancient one said you need to put the timelines you need to put the stones back in their original timelines for to break off those branching timelines um, time travel but before he goes he says don't do something stupid to Bucky um, he says don't do don't do anything stupid while I'm gone and then Bucky says how can I you take another stupid with you that again is um <clears throat> is the same line that um, I believe Cap says to Bucky in the first Avenger, how he says, Bucky, Bucky, Bucky is the one that says, don't do things stupid while I'm gone, and then Cap says, how can I take all the stupid with you? Cap says that in the, fir- in the first Avenger, but this time around, it's Bucky saying that. And then he says, I'm going to miss you, which I'll get to in a minute. He says, I'm going to miss you. And then Cap leaves with Mjolnir, leaves, because I think he's going to return Mjolnir back to Asgard as well. And then he comes back, He's not there. Nothing's there. They're like, where's Cap? Looking over. They look over to the bench. But it's weird how this scene played out. And I think it's like, this is what I kind of got from this scene. Bucky immediately looks over to the bench. Like he immediately looks over. It's like like he knew he was going to be there. He looks over to that bench and he says, Sam. And then Sam looks over there. And um, I think it was... Oh, someone said it was someone different, but um, <clears throat> it's. I thought it was. I thought it was. Oh, who did I think it was? Anyway, it's Cap. It's Cap, but he's an old person, and he's wearing the same jacket he wore in First Avenger, which is really cool. And he's a very, very old Cap. And then it's like, well, what happened? And he just goes, well, I wanted to live that life that Tony was talking about. So it turns out he went back to the past to live his life with Peggy. And, um, yeah, he's, that's what he wanted to do. And he, and he doesn't tell, I like how he says, like, how was, how was she? Do you want to tell, do you want to tell me about her? And then he's like, <clears throat> no. <laughs> so I thought that was a cool moment between them there. Um, and then Sam's like, well, you know, how, who's going to be Captain America now that you're like, you know, old. And, uh, Cap gives him the shield in a little canvas bag. And pretty much implying that he is instating Sam, Sam Wilson, Falcon, as the new Captain America. 
and everyone wanted to be Bucky Barnes, but I just want to say that I don't think it should be Bucky because obviously he's like he was like a he, he was like a, a uh, an assassin kind of under the control of you know the Russians and all that stuff. He killed a lot of innocent people, and it'd be really weird for him to kind of front, especially in what like what kind of climate we're in now in America. To really to be the hero for America, that kind of person, the people are not going to remember what he did as a hero. They're kind of remembering what he did because his actions were so global. Uh, they kind of remember him like that. So it'd be better. I, I thought it was better to have Sam as I think they made the right decision making Sam the new Captain America. And um, I have believed. So I go back to the scene where he, to get back to the bit where he said, "I'll miss you." I believe Bucky knew the whole time what he was going to do. Like, Steve had told Bucky, this is what I'm going to do. And um, he's obviously really happy for Sam when he gets the shield as well, because he knows Sam's going to be the new Captain America. And just the way he delivered that line, I'm going to miss you. And then just the way he just immediately looks over to the bench like he knows he's there. Um, <clears throat> I just thought he knew the whole time. That's that's my kind of interpretation there. And then to finish off the movie, we finally get Steve and Peggy finally sharing that dance that they always wanted to have. And the film ends. And what a beautiful way to end it there. I just want to shout out the credits as well. The credits, I just love the credits. You've got all like all the characters obviously getting their title cards and everything like that. When it comes to the main six Avengers, it's got their little signature. done in like kind of, kind of 3D form. I thought that was really cool. I love the way that was done. Beautifully done there. Um, and then and as soon as Robert Downey Jr. was on screen, the whole theater cheered. The whole theater cheered, clapped. Because you know this, this is what it, this is, this is, this is, this is it. This was his last film. Um, I don't know if we could get any cameos from um, RDJ, but you know this is it. This this was his last run as Iron Man, and he's like the big hero of the film. Um, but I just loved how that signature was done. Really, really cool stuff. I wasn't expecting that. I'll just say that I've never seen that before. There you go. And now there's no after credits scene, but we do in the in the end of the credits, like before you get to the music and the, and the production logos and everything, you get you hear the sound of some banging, some banging hitting metal, and I believe that's the sound of Tony hitting the metal in Iron Man when he's making the first Iron Man armor, and um, I thought it was just a bit of a callback saying like okay, like this is what it's all this is what it's all been about. This is you know this is the hero of it all. Um, people saying it's it's kind of um, leading into another Iron Man uh, Iron Man film or another way Iron Man can come back, but I just thought it was a bit of a callback or something like that to that scene, and just a bit of a final stamp on the film saying you know this was Iron Man's film, <clears throat> you know as well as with Captain America's, but Iron Man was the big, you know was the, he was the one that made the big call. And uh, we don't get any final text either. We when we normally get like the Avengers will return. Or, you know, Captain America will return, Iron Man will return, they will, you know, you, know, you get that text afterwards, Black Panther will return, and then Avengers Infinity War, you get Thanos will return. Nothing. You get nothing. And I just loved it. I loved it. And I loved that he didn't get enough to credit Sony ever, because I was just saying, like, this is it. This is the end of this saga. We're really serious about this. No scene leading into Far From Home, because this is, Far From Home has a lot of Endgame spoilers in its trailer. And it's got a lot of events to do with Endgame. And I know, I think I understand why they're going to make Far From Home the last fa last film of Phase 3. But I just liked how they just ended it here. They just went, this is it. It, it kind of, not having a post credit scene really gave the sense, um, really gave the film a sense of finality, I think. And um, I thought it was just well, really, really well done. So... 
That's all I need to say. Holy shit. It's always been two hours. Talk about Endgame. Um, yeah, I knew this one was going to go on for long. I wasn't I wasn't going to restrict myself fully. I didn't want to go too long, but I wasn't going to restrict myself. I really wanted to talk about this film and all its events, all my feelings and thoughts about it. Honestly, obviously, I loved it. Really, really loved it. Now, I've got the little nitpicks now and here and there, but... Um, I loved it. It's one of my favorite MCU films. I loved how it, it, it's a it's a very satisfying and fulfilling combination to the Infinity Saga and a great way to send these characters off, just like how they sent off uh, Hugh Jackman as Logan in, in Logan. I kind of got the same feeling like that. Um, and it was, and you really get a damn good payoff after 11, films and, uh, 11 years and 22 films. So that's what I thought about Endgame. Those are my thoughts, my spoiler thoughts on Endgame. Well, I hope you guys are still with me at, um, you know, an hour and 48 minutes in and listening to me talk about Endgame. I'm obviously not going to do my MCU rankings now because I've got to be up in five hours because I need to get a bus to Scone for our work. So I'm not going to talk about MCU rankings. I'm actually going to stop right here and um, <clears throat> go to sleep. <laughs> But um, I want to thank you guys. If you guys have been listening this whole time and not skipping through or anything like that, really, you know, clicking in and um, staying with me, I want to thank you so much for listening to this long-ass podcast and, um, you know, tr- trying to listen to my thoughts on this this movie. This is a huge film, um, a very huge film. I don't think we'll get an event like this in another 10 or 15 years. Um, it's smashing records. It's currently at $2.2 billion. Um, and, um, <clears throat> I think it's, a, I think it's about around 2.2 billion, but it's the second highest grossing film of all time. And it's right behind Avatar. I think after ne- this week, I believe after this week, it will pass Avatar. I've got a strong feeling it will. We're getting repeat viewings. I'm going to go see it a third time. I've seen it twice now. I'm going to see it a third time. We've got a lot more people seeing it again. I think it's going to do it. It, it, Went past Titanic this week, and I think next week, as of Monday, as of Tuesday in America, next Tuesday in America, it's going to pass Avatar, I think. Probably not by much, but I think it will still pass Avatar. And then we'll have that as, you know, that Avengers Endgame will be the top grossing film of all time. Not in Justin for Inflation, but it will be the top film, global box office of all time. And that is in- incredible. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff right there. This is what it's been, folks. It's been 11 years, 22 films, you know, three hours, nine pages later. Um, this is what it's this is what it's all been leading to. This podcast, no. <laughs> but again, thank you for listening. This is the end of part one. Now, I'm going to release part two on Sunday, and part two is going to be about Spider-Man Far From Home and the future of the MCU. I want to get into a kind of discussion there, talk about a lot of things like that. Do, I'll do a bit more research before then to, to um, so I know what I'm really talking about. Um, and I'll be giving my, my full MCU rankings as of Endgame's release. And uh, there's a few surprises there. You're going to be like, what the fuck is he on? There's a few surprises in there, but that is my personal kind of feelings, and, and you'll you'll um, I'll explain that when it comes to that um, on Sunday. So that'll be coming out on Sunday, and then I'm also going to be kind of announcing a few things that I'm doing for the podcast that I want to be, um, kind of move forward with on the podcast. 
that'll be all coming on Sunday. So again, I thank you for listening to this long ass chat about a very epic superhero film. We all love it. Love you guys 3000 as the great man once said in the film. And um, I will I'll talk to you on Sunday.